This week's episode was brought to you by the generous support of our listeners, Maxwell and David Aguire. If you would also like to become an illustrious supporter, please visit www.patreon.com slash the whole rabbit. We're starting at just five bucks a month. You get all our extended episodes, a five by five vinyl whole rabbit sticker and access to our discord server, which is like a hollowed out tree for fluffy rabbits drinking tea and having morbid discussions. Hold on to your guts because this week's episode, we keep Jacob Singer company as he beholds his life in the mirror of death, running from demons and yearning for his own delusions as they project from the undiluted light of his Buddha mind because this week we're vivisecting the occult concepts around which the cult cinema classic Jacob's Ladder was built. While there exist many commentaries on the esoteric symbolism in Jacob's Ladder, We did our own research and discovered a number of threads we feel others have misinterpreted, taking a diametrically opposed stance to what we usually hear expounded about Jacob's girlfriend, Jezebel, and her meaning in the film. We go over this in depth here in the free show. In the extended episode, we discuss in even more exhaustive depth how his girlfriend's dog, Chester, relates to the Greek magical papyri. In this episode, we make liberal mention of the Bardo Thodol, which we know in the West as the Tibetan Book of the Dead, as the vivid descriptions within inform so much of Jacob's Ladder, but rather than discussing this specific text directly, we give more focus to its manifestations in the film and attempt to interpret them using the biblical symbolism it offers. In order to correct this tease of information about the Bardo Thodol, we will be doing an episode about it next week to discuss it directly. Thank you, and enjoy the show. zoomed out, I think. My spectral bands look smaller than they was. Ah, as all men who look at their penis say. Ha You can measure from the balls. <laughs> you can't measure from the balls, but you're allowed to push down into your, your mound. That's a rule. Oh, mer. That is an official measurement rule. No, you can. You push down a little bit on the mound there. You're allowed to get, you're allowed to, yeah, just a little bit. I mean, if you really need to. It couldn't hurt. I mean, unless you're already too big. That happens sometimes. It does. There are people with like fucking twelve inch cots. I'm sure there aren't met, aren't that many people with twelve inch places to put. Them. I don't know. I once saw a video of a woman taking a fucking rubber dick. Like Jesus Christ. Uh, it, it looked like it was about the size of an arm or wider, but definitely as long. I was listening to Holy Diver when it happened. I'll never forget. Is that the secret to getting a huge dick in the Bardo afterlife mechanism? You have to listen to. Holy diver as you're dying, and then when you reincarnate, you just have a huge wanker. Makes sense, because Dio was such a small guy, you know? Like, he's projecting that big that big energy. Dio was probably bigger laying down, whether or not that means much. <laughs> he was a little goblin man. Fucking sing, though. Yeah, he could. He was all right. I preferred, you know, Ozzy Sabbath. And uh, I preferred Rainbow when it was deep purple. He's okay. I'm sorry, I had to talk shit on your friend. What were you going to say? I was just trying to find out how to reincarnate with a 10-inch penis. That's all. I was demeaning you both because you're dead. And so is everyone listening to this right now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the whole rabbit, where we don't just hold our dying friend and tell him he's going to be okay as he gurgles blood incoherently in some ancient orange moistened patch of jungle that's burning with napalm and the vengeful ever-present eyes of Charlie are bearing down on our indefensible position. Nay, we break out the ancient scrolls and start reading him a very repetitive death time story until he either realizes the Buddha nature of his own mind 
mind or slinks off to hide in his next mother's birth canal to avoid the incessant pursuit of wrathful demons of the unconscious attachment of the eagle limitations because this week we're ascending and then falling down, hitting every rung as we go on the horror thriller classic which inspired the Silent Hill video game series, Jacob's Ladder. I'm your host, Luke Madrid, the Hacking Rabbit. I'm joined this week by Marisama, the fairy Brahman. Ooh, I like that one. Dr. Darth Dingus, the dashing dangle stink dipper. The mortuary fiend and life insurance salesman. It's the only gamble you never want to win. And Malachor the Fifth, outer wizard of the infernal infinities. Yeah, life is such a great place to be, ain't it, guys? I mean, you could do worse. You could do a lot worse. You, you think you would, <laughs> you, you know, consciousness is going to stay intact once when you die? That's really what's going to be talked about today. Yeah, do you ever wonder what happens after you die? Spoilers. Yeah. If you haven't seen Jacob's Ladder yet and you don't want the movie spoiled, uh, first of all, too late. Second of all, just stop now and watch the movie. It's, it's probably worth it. And then come back and listen to the rest of this. Yeah, I used to wonder what happened so much that I wanted to kill myself every day just so I would stop wondering. I'll be honest, that crossed my mind once or twice when I was a kid. But I'd be like, nah, man, that's a lot of work just to find out. Nah, I had other reasons, too. I mean, I that's guess depressing, there's... y'all. Oh, well, okay, yeah, let's just... I mean, I guess it's not the most depressing episode. I'm just making an observation. You can elaborate on that for the next two hours if you really want. Well, how are you introduced to the film, Dingus? Jacob's Ladder. Kind of a couple of ways. Actually, the first time I heard about it wasn't from playing or reading about Silent Hill, but it was from because my friend Manto and I were talking about a Rush song called Jacob's Ladder in high school, and he thought it was about the movie. <laughs> um, but it was from the 80s. Anyways, uh... Yeah, and then I just I, I heard about it while while reading about the making of Silent Hill, and then finally after like not long after the biggest fucking failure of my entire life, uh, I was having this really bad PTSD episode, and uh, Jacob's Ladder was free on whatever streaming service I was watching at the time, so I watched it, and I didn't stop thinking about it since. <laughs> I actually got attracted to it because I had heard Silent Hill was based on it, and it was essentially the Silent Hill movie. And I just went out and rented it, watched it, and I, I am ashamed to admit I was a bit underwhelmed. I was in high school. I wanted spookier demons. And I did not appreciate how symbolic the film was or how faithful it was to religious allegory. Had I known, I would have enjoyed the movie immensely. And to be fair, I was in my, you know, mid-20s before I figured out that movies could even do that. And now it's definitely my favorite thing to talk about on the show. So I'm well, really happy just, you suggested it. Just be thankful, Luke, because, you know, if you did understand it all when you were a teenager, you would just be that annoying jackass that went around going, dude, dude, Jacob's Ladder, the guy dies and it's deep. You're, you're not wrong. You're not yeah, wrong. Yeah, I know I'm not wrong. You're kind of that guy now. I just can't imagine what would happen if you had more testosterone. <sighs> Are you hitting on me now? It, when I was in, <laughs> when I was younger, fucking, I grew up around uh, my mom who studied at Cortona Hill. She got her master's degree in altered states of consciousness, and she's a death specialist. Sounds like you're accusing her of getting high all the time. No, nah, she's a square. She never does anything fun like that. Uh, but she you got a fucking. I'm sorry, you got a fucking degree in altered states of consciousness, and you don't, you don't partake. Uh, well, you could That's watch absurd. other people and listen to them. 
Yeah, well, Mari said. Well, she she helped people die. So I grew up around the Bardot Thodol, which apparently is what the film is based on, which most people know is the Tibetan Book of the Dead. How are you introduced to it, Mari? <laughs> well, duh. Like, I was a huge fan of Silent Hill. So, so you got introduced to it through Silent Hill. Yeah, and I, I watched it. Um, probably when I was like a freshman or sophomore in college and I was, it was terrifying. It's scary. I find the visuals, the sounds, and then the disorient, like the way that the story goes and the settings and the scenes and the, even the lights are disorienting. This movie really captures desperation, like better than most other movies that I've watched. I, I think it's one of the most fantastic visual, an experiential representation of what it's like to have post-traumatic stress disorder yeah. and to be having lose at the same time it struck me when i was younger when i first saw it that this must be what it's like to have schizophrenia start to manifest in you it, it's it and it's so excellently done from the main person's point of view i think it, it i think it's scary in the fact that watching somebody go unhinged like that is is unsettling by itself like the monsters don't and the blood doesn't necessarily have to be gratuitous for that to be ominous just like there's a scene near the end where he's rolled down into a hospital and there's blood everywhere and they're about to operate on him. And apparently his girlfriend is down there randomly, like for no reason in a nurse's gown. And it's like, okay, that is some nightmare fuel. These people are basically like Anubis embalming the body. But the fact that you there, you can't tell up from down and you don't know who is who or who's on your side. Like it, I think I feel like that's the hell. Yes, that to me is what 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 drove the terror in the movie and why I respected it. And also the scenery like Silent Hill is based on the actual visualization. Like there's a lot of textures like bloody based, bloody ceramic tile, uh, rusty walls, uh, shots through fucking fence grating, peeling paint, chain link fence and then like twitching heads and like meaty corpses with like nubs twitching heads. And um, like no eyes and stuff like that. Yeah, the whole aesthetic of it. But when I watched, I was like, I can't believe this is the foundation of Silent Hill because there's no father daughter story or any like cult stuff. It's basically a dude that went to Vietnam and was traumatized. I can totally believe that, at least at the time, uh, because I had the most experience with Silent Hill, too. Like, I can see so many of the similarities in this movie, especially the way that the horror just like in either franchise, their approach to horror is super psychological. And you have these moments of like peace and beauty that instantly are just very subtly blend themselves into moments of just disgusting terror. And it's it's all hidden under like a. You know, the names of his child, his name himself, Jezebel. It's all biblical stuff. But really, yeah. the book is about the e- like Eastern understandings of, uh, you know, what happens when you die. Yeah, and- it's yeah, it's an Eastern understanding of what happens when you die with a Western like overlay to it. Yeah. And a lot of people may, may miss the, the underlying theme or the message of it because it has all this biblical stuff right in your face. And it, it's good. It's good on doing on giving you the parallel worlds of like East and West, almost like how Silent Hill has the other world and the real world. I don't know about right in your face. Like there are a lot of blatant details, but there are also just a lot of incredibly subtle things that you have to pause the movie to catch and look at. Like the fact that his girlfriend Jezebel has a scar under like her right tit. That's actually kind of significant. Ah. Uh. But, I mean, just small details and shit that are just thrown in there that you wouldn't notice. 
Yeah, but it's not in front of your face. It's small details. It's it's not the big thing. How did um, you see it, Matt? They make a big difference. Um, to be honest, Twin Peaks. Uh, and I watched Twin Peaks because of a band that I liked a lot from Norway that sampled pieces of it. And that led me down, you know, like back to Silent Hill and then what inspired Silent Hill itself. And yeah, Jacob's Ladder was like at the top of the list of something that I need to check out. And visually, the horror aspects for Silent Hill are taken from Jacob's Ladder, but the environment that you're in in Silent Hill much more resembles Twin Peaks' mysterious uh, atmosphere. Because oh. it's in the woods. It's in a small town in the woods. Yeah, You still have all those like rotted urban and industrial corridors like Jacob's Ladder. No, it doesn't. Not at all. They're both like very similar because they're both really about Tibetan stuff, more or less, at, at the end of the day. And it, it all goes back to Silent Hill. So really, it's Silent Hill to blame how I found out about this. So here's, uh, here's basically a, a small summary of the movie. And honestly, if you haven't watched it, I recommend that you stop and find somewhere online that you can watch it for free because it's not hard to find. Um, and then come back to this because it's worth your time. It's one of the best movies ever made. Released on November 2nd of 1990, this film was only a modest success at the box office, but it really made a name for itself when it was released to VHS. Nevertheless, it debuted number one on the box office charts before it was knocked off by fucking Child's Play 2. A goddamn travesty well you know what it's nowhere near as cool as jacob's ladder that was already the 50th slasher film ever in terms of clever and experimental concept films it sounds like jacob's ladder was a smash success it really could have gone worse the film boasts especially in retrospect a terrific cast there's even a scene where jason alexander smugly eats chips what more do you want i don't know who this man is this george costanza you you youngling Oh, well, okay. I know him by Costanza. It's Costanza. Who, who gives a wedgie to a grown-up? I'm just saying. You know, I got in a fight at work because somebody tried to give me a wedgie. Okay, yeah, so this proved to be leading man Tim Robbins' biggest dramatic break, who prior better-known roles were as Phil Blumbert in Howard the Duck. Which is yeah. a Marvel movie. Old it's Marvel movie. Not a good one. The protagonist, Jacob Singer, is a veteran of the Vietnam War, having been deployed to Da Nang, where he suffered a violent and dramatic experience before returning stateside to earn his PhD, but land unceremoniously as a postal work, forfeiting his wife and kids for his gorgeous and sexually satisfying co-worker Jezebel, who spoils him as long as he's not weeping too hard about his wife and kids. Things start getting interesting when demons begin chasing him, and he wonders if he's losing his mind or just has his back thrown out until eventually he encounters others from his battalion who are also being followed by demons. Things start coming together when Jacob's dog determination reveals that his battalion was dosed with a psychedelic behavior modifier during the war, which resulted in everybody killing each other indiscriminately, including Jacob, who is experiencing these events as a projection of his own consciousness uh while he is dying for being stabbed with a bayonet and ultimately he does die in the end as uh fucking rabbit uh so eloquently wrote it it's left to experience unfiltered spiritual reality during the physical death of his body seriously that's what the bardo thodal would have us believe that he's experiencing some unfiltered version of his consciousness as his body breaks down yeah it's all kind of trippy because how it ends it's it's like you're in that experience obviously in that experience of him like kind of flashing through these bardos 
and he, he keeps getting trapped in some and then he wakes up from one and he's like kind of just on that journey. It's like the next day and the next day. So Bruce Joel Rubin, the creator of the film, says the horror of the movie would be in the revelation that hope is hell's final torment, that life is a dream that ends over and over with the final truth, that life was never real, and that we're all creatures trapped in eternal suffering and damnation. Dark, dude. Kind of like the Matrix. Kind of, but there was at least some hope in that trilogy. I don't have a lot to say about it, really. I mean, I guess there's hope here, too. You can still uh, you can still get high and fuck. That's pretty good, right? I That's think worth was, coming back. Yeah, it is. It is. Yes, it is. First of all. And second of all, uh, I think he was trying to just sell it because it had a happy ending. It wasn't exactly what he wanted, but the one he wanted was also a happy ending. I think he was worried that they would catch on to this being some wholesome thing. And he was just like, no, man, it's scary and horror and it's dark. That's what I think. Uh, I'm sure the process of dying is very frightening, horrifying and dark. Uh, But there's a positive. It's not as negative as he made it out. But it is at the same time, because life is uh, the wheel of suffering. Damn it. I think it's depends on how you died and who you were when you died yes you know like old people really do have the luxury of often having time to prepare and when it's time to die well you knew it was coming jacob was dosed with a fucking hallucinogenic and then stabbed by his friend who i theorized was the guy with the vlad the impaler haircut because he's always the one who turns into like that shaking head creature they were all dosed well, they were all ghosts, but I think the guy with the Vlad the Impaler haircut is the guy who did him in. We never see him on camera. Oh. Yeah. Fan theory. Ruben was friends with psychologist and LSD guru Timothy Leary, who had given him a capsule of LSD to enjoy one day. Leary was warned. Leary warned him to save the capsule until it felt right. The night would come six months later. The story is a bit vague, but it sounds like through the same connection, Ruben was asked to store a jar of pure LSD that had been cooked up in Switzerland. The good shit. <laughs> it sounds like it was a... T- I'm, I'm just laughing at the thought. It sounds like it was this interaction that inspired Ruben to reach into his wallet and partake of his capsule. When it didn't work, he opted for a dose of the fresh, pure, top shelf stuff that he had sitting in his fridge. When his friend, opting to help, went to dose Ruben, he squeezed the entire dropper into his oh. mouth, accidentally, administ- accidentally administering what we might call a heroic dose. Ruben tripped the fuck out so hard that Ruben that he struggled to find anything and the western mystic tradition that explained what he encountered in his trip. After only glimpsing the wisdom of the east did he begin to discover an overlap between the religious literature and his experience. First couple times I watched this movie I never saw the deleted scenes and stuff. Did you guys watch that deleted scene I sent? Yes! Dude that is so crazy. So this scene was deleted near the end of the movie where after is it what's the what's the guy's name the the guy that created Jacob yeah when is it Newman Newman. Michael Newman so when the man that created the Jacob's Ladder drug and administered it to the troops he was part of the secret experiment to get out of jail basically he made a deal with the government anyway he administered this and he felt really guilty and apparently he contacted Jacob and they spoke in the movie And then he said, well, I feel really guilty. And over the years, I've created an antidote to it. So this substance will actually make you stop seeing the demons. And this is pretty much, you know, Jacob's only way out. So they go to this motel. Michael administers this this uh, antidote 
to him, but it it's in a vial in a dropper and it looks suspiciously like how LSD looks after it's synthesized when, when they're dosing it on paper. Oh, definitely. So I've, I've been dosed like that before. And um, so he puts the syringe. Uh, so Jacob has some reservations and starts to get paranoid beforehand. And Michael's like, no, no, you have to do this. Just just try it. Just try a little bit and see if it works. And so he doses him and then he starts the hallucinations start to get worse and worse and worse as he's laying there. And there's this one scene where Michael jumps on top of him and like forces down his throat and is like, like, take it, you motherfucker, take it. It's like that scared the shit out of me. Like if I had seen that in the original movie. Uh, a lot of it would make sense because after this scene, like a demon breaks out of the ceiling or something. There, but after that happens, I mean, Michael didn't lie in that. From that point on in the movie, there's no more. De- he doesn't have any more demon hallucinations. Correct. He sees, he, and he sees sun rays and sunlight coming through the building. He does cure him. And they cut the scene because it was too much for audiences. They started feeling tired and worn out near the end of the movie. But I thought it was the drug. uh, I thought it was the drug war during the time when it. I'm sure that was a big part of why that scene was cut. And in fact, it helped make more sense of the movie because his other elemental bodies, water, fire and earth break down elsewhere in the movie. But this scene they must have shoved like one of those grass blowers like two inches from his face and then had him scream. Oh, my God. It was so visceral, like almost like the exorcist. Right. But on I've never seen that before or since. And I almost wish they just kept it because that was so interesting and spooky Mm -hmm. now. But that was the inclusion of the wind now, because it says when you're dying, it feels like you're being blasted by wind or cut by wind. And LSD is, of course, a mental experience and you get lashed by your own mental energies and that that made sense for the movie so not the scene where he's freaking out and he shoves the thing in his mouth like when he first administers it he's all careful about it and he squeezes out the thing and he like then what he does instead of giving him one drop he pushes it way back in his mouth and squeezes out the rest of the dropper which to me I'm pretty sure that's what happened to the creator of the movie, Bruce Joel Rubin, and he put it in that scene and then they had to cut it. So most definitely. I thought that was so cool when I found that out. So that's what happened to the creator is that cut scene. (laughs) Basically, that's what happened to him. That's what inspired Jacob's Ladderies. He had that experience, basically. In fact, about it, he says, I decided that I needed to go to places like India and Nepal to meet with teachers to get an understanding of uh, what happened because I entered a world so much bigger than the world we know experientially, so much more vast and internal, if you will, that I needed some direction. And it wasn't until he returned to New York and met Albert Rudolph, a.k.a. Swami Rudrananda, a spiritual teacher who specialized in yoga and meditation, that he began to find the answers he sought. I had a dream where I get off the train and end up trapped in a subway station with no exits, he says. I realize the only way is down through the dark tunnel of the subway into some kind of awful hell. But I have to make that journey because ultimately it's the journey to my own liberation. And there is a subway scene in the movie where he has to go down the subway and he almost gets his man train. It does that classic Silent Hill thing where there's an illogically barricaded off public like entryway. Yeah, it's a fake out to to like force you down the dangerous path. Yeah. So I think Silent Hill very clearly borrowed from that. Like, oh, absolutely. Speaking of Silent Hill, just while we're on the subject, I didn't really know where else to or I forgot to mention it, but I think it's significant that this movie starts with Jacob squatting and taking a shit. (laughs) Does it? 
Yeah, yeah. I, the I miss first that. time we see, yeah, a lot of people don't notice it, and I forget what they say to him, but it was pretty funny. They make fun of him for taking too many shits, and the first time we see him, he's coming back out of a squat in the tall grass, and he's all smiling and shit while they're talking shit to him, and they start smoking a joint. So Jacob purified himself before death. Oh, it also yeah. reminds me of broken vessels, you know. Uh, what, yeah, when when you die, you shit yourself, pretty much. Well, yeah, the the last step of the uh, the cliff off before you reach Malkuth. What is that again? Lilith. Uh, anyways, shit. Yeah, Lilith. He take he took a shit. Well, didn't it have a different name? Yeah, I, 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 you're onto something because the left-hand path is referred to as the Vama Marga, and Vama refers to the expulsion of something, or like vomit, or like shitting, hmm. and shit, and excrement. Excrement and marijuana are both used in uh, rituals to Shiva, I believe, by Shivites, and that oh. pertains to the shedding of the ego as well. Also, the body just is like a piece of shit when you're done with it. Yeah, and that's what it turns into. It does. It turns into the poo-poo. Worm shit. Not even like cat shit. And a lot of those uh, priest dudes who are like in some of those towns or temples, they're highly respected for eating shit and doing all that weird stuff. Yeah. Eating out of skulls. Smoking all the time. Yeah. It's actually like an entire, uh, it's like an entire kind of sect of left-hand path practitioners over there uh, known as the Agori. They're Kali worshippers. They wear necklaces of skulls and paint themselves in ash and they smoke weed all the time and spend their times around corpses and shit so they can uh, reach a state of total detachment from the physical world. Oh, and his girlfriend in the afterlife is basically a manifestation of that same deity. Yeah. Well, anyway, Ruben began work on this script way back as far as 1980, but it went on to become the Oscar winning Patrick Swayze favorite ghosts. Oh, so he made that movie too. Interesting. And the, the studios were like, nobody wants movies about ghosts, Ruben. I hate Hollywood. Biblical symbol. Sorry, Ruben made people want to fuck ghosts. That's all I'm saying. And make pops. I'd fuck a ghost. I wouldn't. It's not like the looks would matter. So it's kind of like a cold glory hole. <laughs> Aren't all glory holes cold? What? I'm just going to let y'all sit on that for a second while I read this passage about Bible shit. According to the Old Testament, Jacob was the younger twin of Esau who was the ancestor of Edom and the Edomites. They're two representatives of two different periods of social order. Jacob being a pastoralist and Esau a nomadic hunter. During her pregnancy, Rebecca was told by God that she would give birth to twins. Each of them would found a great nation and Esau, the elder, would serve his younger brother. As it turned out, Jacob, by means of an elaborate double deception, managed to obtain his older brother's birthright from their parents. He begged his twin brother to give him some red pottage paralleling his nickname, Hebrew Adam, meaning red. That's Adam with an O, probably said differently, whatever. Jacob offered to give Esau a bowl of stew in exchange for his birthright, the right to be recognized as firstborn, and Esau agreed. Then Jacob fled his brother's wrath. Apparently the soup was bad. Oh, yeah, I remember that, actually. from going to church, and went to take refuge with the Armenian tribe of his ancestors at at Haran in Mesopotamia. And went to take refuge with the Armenian tribe of his ancestors at Haran in Mesopotamia. So he gypped his brother out of his birthright with a bowl of soup, and then ran away. That's all the shitty soup. It'll at least make some good fucking stew, you know? I guess they didn't have potatoes or anything to put in that bitch butter. 
what does fucking like first century stew taste like? They don't even have spices. Maybe he thought it did, and he was like, I'm willing to give up my birthright for this stew right now. Oh, I forgot. There's no spices. Along his journey through the desert, sleepiness came upon him, so pulling up a rock for a pillow, Jacob went to sleep. It was in his dreams, sleeping upon this rock, that Jacob received a special revelation from God. God promised Jacob lands and numerous offspring that would prove to be the blessing of the entire earth. Jacob named the place where he received his vision Bethel, house of God. Bet equals house, L equals God, question mark. Yeah, because in uh, tarot, bet means house and it's associated with the magician. And then, you know, L is is a name for God. And that one's associated, I think, with the sphere of Kesed. I believe I could be wrong, but the original name of Beth L was Luz. Jacob's chiropractor's name is Lewis. It's the place where he is aligned and healed. Oh. He's even given a flash of bright light during his first adjustment. Maybe Go Jacob aligned his back on a rock that night. Maybe he was having back pain and he laid down on the rock and he got an adjustment and he saw God. I don't know. It's also a Germanic and French origin name, meaning uh, basically uh, uh, strongest warrior. And that's so he wrestles with an angel. But it's strange because he's also a healer figure. So in the other world, quote unquote, I don't know. The healer is actually the strongest warrior. I don't know. That's just interesting. I think he can be both. Well, warrior is usually an opposite class to a healer. Yeah, but it's actually his his struggle with uh, an unknown angel that earns him his title of Israel. Mm. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah, because Jacob wrestles the angel until until the sun comes up. I don't know. I've always interpreted this. They made love. Ooh. Yeah. Come on. Wrestling. It put his thigh out of alignment. He's like gyrating those hips around. They were naked. It was described that he touched his thigh and then knocked it out of alignment. Oh my so God, I think right. that's the. I think if that's the case, that's the point where he was raped by a fucking divine entity. He there tapped his ass and not touched his thigh. He clapped them cheeks, broke his thigh. <laughs> it was hand banana. <laughs> he fucking dislocated his whole ass. Clapped them cheeks, broke his thigh. <laughs> Tonight, you clapped them cheeks, broke his thigh. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint and he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. And for the prince hast thou power with God and with men and hath prevailed. And Jacob asked him, he said, tell me, I pray thee thy name. And he said, where is it that thou dost ask of my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. And the pineal gland is often represented as a pine cone or religious context. But more importantly, it sits atop the spinal column, which has 33 vertebrae, an important number in esotericism. It's presumed to be the death of Christ. Well, the age he was when they nailed him to the cross the degrees in masonry. Likewise, Jacob's letter can also be related to climbing the spine, the rising of Kundalini to reach enlightenment, and the third eye awakening. It's here at the top of the ladder in the pineal gland that DMT is produced, which is responsible for dreaming and, during death, releases its storehouse causing an intense psychedelic trip. Researchers have appropriately dubbed it the spirit molecule. Psychonauts can attest. In life, 
spontaneous kundalini awakening and rising can happen when we metabolize DMT, either as the hallucinogenic drug, as mentioned earlier, or in the process of death. I would argue that Jacob's Ladder would be your kundalini uh, energy going up and down. Because it's an, in the Bible, it's also described as angels descend from it, but you also go up it when you die. You can also go down. You can go further down. Like, it's not, what I'm saying is it's not like an escalator that goes up. It right? reminds me of the you Tree of down. Life or uh, the Rainbow Bridge. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, another fun fact is that the Pope's staff, his official staff and some other symbology in the Catholic Church uh, is actually a pine. And then that and then I just I just thought that's interesting that they use that. on. It's the Roman Catholic Church that got the pine cones everywhere. Yeah, but they don't tell you that it's a, a pine cone or your pineal gland. I mean, they might as well. And they don't want you to know it's pan. Or Bacchus, excuse me. It's like, but Bacchus also refers to a drunken state of revelry that arguably, you know, uses the taps into the same mechanism. Bacchus, like divine revelry. Mm -hmm. Dionysian mania. Oh, yeah. yeah. But we're going to stick to the West uh, and talk a little bit more about Jacob's Ladder. So the place where Jacob stopped uh, was in reality Mount Moria, the future home of the Temple of Jerusalem. So the ladder symbolically signifies the bridge between heaven and earth. Prayers and sacrifices offered to the Holy Temple forged the connection between God and the Jewish people. Moreover, the ladder alludes to the giving of the Torah as another connection between heaven and earth. So in the old school religious context, it has to do with a connection between God and his people or earth. And it's making sacrifices or, you know, to the house of, of God, to the temple that create the strong connection. And so in the same way, Jacob has to shed his his ego, his old life and make sacrifices in order to go higher up the ladder. Possible Western interpretation of the Jacob, the uh, the, the story of Jacob's ladder and the, the mythology of it is comes from. A Greek Jewish philosopher known as Philo uh, was born in Alexandria in the 50th year of the Common Era. Uh, he presented an allegorical interpretation of the latter in his first book, De Somnis. There he gives four interpretations, uh, which are not mutually exclusive. The angels represent souls descending to and ascending from bodies. Some consider this to be Philo's clearest reference to the doctrine of reincarnation. In the second interpretation, the latter is the human soul and the angels are God's logoi, pulling the soul up in distress and descending in compassion. In the third view, the dream depicts the ups and downs of life, the practicer or virtue versus sin. This is like all in the in, movie. In the third view, the dream depicts the up and downs of the life of the practicer or virtue versus sin. Finally, the angels represent the continually changing affairs of men. That all sounds the, really Eastern to me. Yeah, it does. Well, you also have to understand that um, like Judaism is a Middle Eastern religion. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's obviously going to be influenced a lot by things that are further east that it's adjacent to, particularly India. The narrative of Jacob's Ladder was used shortly after the destruction of the Second Temple and the Siege of Jerusalem, which occurred in the 70th year of the Common Era, as basis for the uh, the, the pseudepigraphic ladder of Jacob. This writing, preserved only in Old Church Slavonic, interprets the experience of patriarchs in the context of Merkaba mysticism. That's kind of a big deal. Yeah, the, Merk Merk the Merkaba being the, the chariot that is like an angel inside of you that can take you up the ladder, I guess. 
in this context? Well, it's yes. your spiritual vessel. It's the actual, it's, it's basically how you look on it. Basically the Merkaba contains your spirit or your solid vessel, like your body. But when your spirit leaves it, like your Merkaba floats away. And like, also when you dream, you're like, when your consciousness leaves your body at any rate, it would be the, the Merkaba would be virtual container and it, it is attached to your body until it up until it dies, basically. And then when it leaves, you turn into a bubbling pink slime. Yeah, just like in the anime. Just like in the anime. But your eyeballs stay intact and they just kind of float around. It's actually kind of comical, but it stinks. No, but it's actually that's a thing. Oh, Dante's Inferno. Yeah, he's studying it at one point and even sees pictures of it with a guy holding his own head. A psychopomp. I forget. I think it's called a Dullahan in uh, in Celtic mythology, but it's a type of fae that holds its own head and it guides the dead to the afterlife. We're going to talk all about that in the extended show, but we need yeah. to talk about Jezebel in the free show so everyone can hear. Anyway, so like, yeah, Dante's Inferno is one of the books that the protagonist opens up and is looking at to try and figure out what's going on with him. And he was worried maybe it's like he's being chased by demons, so he's studying occultism. Now, when he meets finally with someone else who's going through the same thing that he is, this guy can't even go home. He's worried. He's trapped. You know, he goes, he's like staying at the bar, right? And when he tries to leave the bar, his car explodes. So to me, I felt like in Jacob's Ladder, when he meets the other people that died that day, they're they're actually people, but they're stuck in their own level of karmic hell, right? And that when he tries to leave, that's yeah. why the car explodes. It's even possible that those other beings in the bar are demons that are keeping him there. Or his own uh, shortcomings, his own sins are keeping him at the bar, locked in fear. Yeah, but why is Michael there too? Michael appears in the background many times. Michael's a protector and is protecting him. And that's also a name of an angel. Yes, and Michael, what supposedly fought Lucifer from heaven, Michael Newman in the film supposedly isolated the dark side, right? Right. Same thing. And then he also brought illumination in the end. He did. And that's that esoteric link between Lucifer and Mikael, which there's, they're always related in some way. He's a little bit of a Lucifer character, too, as the guy with the drugs. But he does. Actually, he tries to apologize, though. Yeah. I mean, it's his fault the ladder exists in the film, right? Yeah. But so. he provides a way up. It's like he opens the up escalator instead of just the down one. Yes. So he's he's like the Lucifer Michael archetype. If if you are comfortable putting those two together, I'm sure many people wouldn't be. Macaulay Culkin's in the movie, uncredited. Yeah, and he's uh, he plays the character of Gabriel, his deceased son. And he spends a good portion of the movie crying about it. Oh, I didn't cry. I actually do find it interesting, and it's something that I recognized uh, just now. Uh, so he sings, I forget who it's by, but throughout the movie, he there's this leitmotif. Uh, Jacob sings this song called Sonny Boy. And oh, yeah. Sonny Boy is a song that's about a, a, that seems to be about a father or parent that loses their child. But one of the lyrics is, when skies are gray, they uh, it's like when skies are gray, I don't worry, you turn them blue, sonny boy. Mm. In the book of Revelations, uh, when the rapture begins, uh, which you can also visualize as the judgment card, um, Gabriel is the one who blows the trumpets and opens up, clears the sky. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. And that's when, that's, that, is what he helps the protagonist accomplish at the end of the movie, essentially. He rises out of his tomb, right? He's being judged. 
That, that's something that struck me in the movie, too. I guess we'll get to it later, but when he's going through the meat hospital, um, it kind of reminds me of the Egyptian uh, concept in the Egyptian underworld that when you die, you wander this labyrinth for days and days, and when you get to the end, your soul is judged by some of their gods. I forget which ones, and if your uh, your heart is heavier than their feather of truth, they feed it to a beast and you're destroyed. That's Egypt, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, by the way, these are archangels that we're talking about. I mean, I, I get that, but I'm just bringing up that, that was a theme in the movie. No, but. I'm just saying that they're they're not it regular it angels. Was. Yeah, well, Gabriel comes up a lot in religious history. Like, he's the one that delivers the thing to Moses and to Mother Mary being like, you're going to have a baby. Guess what? He does a lot of stuff like that. Interesting. So Gabriel is also said to be the archangel responsible for God's revel for transmitting God's revelations to prophets. That seems so to be his revealing, big, that's his thing, I think. Revealing prophecy. And then Michael is depicted as an archangel of mercy who is responsible for bringing rain and thunder to earth. So he's in charge of, of storms. And then there's also Raphael. So... I don't know. There's there's a lot of interesting. Gosh, all the all the Bible names are just worth their own research on their own. Like every name in this film is a Bible name. And the one that stands out the biggest. Oh, boy. It's my favorite character, Jezebel. And this like there are plenty of well-researched episodes on Jacob's Ladder. But in my opinion, they're all getting it wrong on Jezebel. I think she's a lot less like Maria from Silent Hill than we're first tempted to believe. Yeah, I'd say so. Like outside of the specific context of the Bardos, burning someone's irreplaceable family photos is fucking evil. So she also tries. She doesn't. She acts like she, she doesn't want to take care of him or that she brushes him off. But then when he gets sick, she actually acts like like she wants to help him. Like I also noticed that that she would act that she, like she didn't care about him all and the time to be fair they're setting you up to see her that way but in the abrahamic parlance a jezebel is a seductress that leads the initiate further away from god we learn that jacob is jewish by glimpsing his dog tags later in the film he's an american presumably grew up in a judeo-christian culture which uses the term jezebel in its biblical context to refer to women with any form of sexuality sacred or not likewise mm -hmm. jezebel's role in the film is portrayed to the audience as the protagonist's own own objection of the divine feminine energy. Jacob's lack of harmony within himself, he's seeing those principles projected onto her. Jacob sees Jezebel in a negative and extreme polarity of the feminine form when he's confronted with certain aspects of that energy. The one at the James Brown party when he's just getting fucked by the giant worm because he's all getting all like, man, my girlfriend's a hoe. And then it gets really bad from there. because, And the next thing you know, he's screaming and has a fever. Anyway, this is because his personal association with the energy, he sees her as his own biases and imbalances projected onto her. He literally sees her as a Jezebel, an impudent, shameless, and morally unrestrained woman. Remember, she did first see him and he didn't see her. But when he was on the stairwell, his palm read by the black uh, divination lady. Yes. Um, she actually walks by and she she glances up at him and she gets pissed off. She has this pissed off huffy look and she storms off. And then the next scene, when he comes back downstairs to figure out where she ran off to, uh, then that, that dance floor scene happens. So she, he perceives her being jealous and enticing him to chase. Mm. So, but she's jealous of him, but he's not, 
He's not courting the woman. The woman grabbed his hand and said, you're already dead. Let me read your hand. Or like she she wanted to read his palm and she said, your lifeline is cut short. You should be dead right now. And she, and then Jezebel walks around and she's like, oh, you're flirting with this other girl. Oh, I'm jealous. And she doesn't she just doesn't even talk. She walks away. Let's talk about some of these powerful black women in the film. I love Asian lady. She was funny. Yeah. When I think he's working, right? He's got his post suit on or he's like getting out of work. And there's like a. Oh, the group of girls outside that sing Mr. Postman at him. is yes. so cute. Yeah. They're trying to get it on with them. <laughs> That's get him to come and give him a letter. You know what I mean? Or they just enjoy him in general. Like he's. Like, I think he's cute. It's a genuinely touching scene. For I love that scene. I think okay. it was heartwarming. Yeah. I think it's there for a reason. There's a lot of symbolism going on here too. He's. I believe that those are the seven sisters or the Pleiades, which were said to ah. have fought over giving milk to. Skanda, who is a, a warrior from the underworld who was meant to slay a demon. And in order to accommodate them, he grew five more heads, which our protagonist does when he gr- when he meets his friend, uh, in order to nurse and look at all of them at the same time. So he's so as an archetype anyway, as a journeyer through the underworld and as a, a warrior of the underworld, that is an appropriate symbol to give to him or the seven sisters. Ah. And in terms of relating like, you know, their race being black to ancient Egypt and the the ancient ways. So when he meets the palm reader, she's dressed in African garb. And then mm-hmm. the second she touches his palm, uh, what's going on starts playing. Who's the artist of who does that one? So the lyrics when she's touching his hand are mama, mama, there's too many of you crying. I think this is a reference to the morning of Isis, the, the wisdom of the stars once again. So when she's looking at his fortune, she's she's like Isis herself. She's like the star goddess who is uh, I mean, she even tells him he's dead. She gives him the straight, you know, like she gives him the esoteric wisdom. Um, mm-hmm. That's the straight truth, I guess. Right. Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye. All right. This, whoever she is, I don't know her name in the movie. She loves him. Even if it's not sexual, she seriously loves this guy. She loves, she says, you know, give me those blue eyes one more time. And this, this reflects the sentiment of Nuit and Isis in the book of the law. My, my joy is, is in your joy, you know? And she's also laughing joyously. And it's not, at first you think maybe she's uh, laughing at someone's expense, but it just is too joyous. Yeah, she's the divine mother of the film. She's Isis. She's Nuit. That's what I think she is. And it's because of the music in the background that I strongly, even more strongly believe this and the wisdom going back to like going all the way back to Africa. And notice she's sitting between the levels of the house. She's sitting. Yes. Like not on the first floor, not on the second floor, on the middle floor. And then there's a lamp. There's a hallway lamp just right above her head hanging from the ceiling. Like those old 60s lamps that you'd sashay across the ceiling and then hang down with if, the lampshade. Yeah. I'd halo. say that's her halo. Yeah. yeah I, I, you know, if, I agree. if you were a deity and then you encountered a spirit of some somebody who doesn't know that they're dead yet you know you would laugh you would be kind of joyous because it's like oh they you know you're not going to ruin the fun i guess that's kind of the attitude or she's laughing in that like oh sweetheart oh you don't even know but you're you're dead and it's kind of funny you know like it's kind of like a kitten that doesn't know its tail from its ear yeah you could even tell them they're dead and they just think you're, you're fucking crazy exactly and that's why she's she's not laughing at his expense or but she's letting him figure it out but she's also being honest so i think those characters are representative of of the stars or star goddesses. That's cool. In the, now back to Jezebel in the Bible, she's murdered by defenestration. So this is like, I guess, throwing stones out the window at her. No, defenestration. I don't know. I read about this once. Let me I look love it up that because word. I remember it being 
spectacular. It was just such a dumb word that I learned when I was a kid. Thank you, Mark. Let's take a couple of seconds here. Also, anti-disestablishmentarianism is the oh, word. I'm not disappointed. I remember that one. Defenestration. Noun. One. Formal. Humorous. The action of throwing someone out of a window. <laughs> Inform. The action of dismissing someone from a position or power of power or authority. That bitch got thrown out a fucking window. <laughs> you, done got, you, got, you done got defenestrated. So this makes sense that his pious love, Sarah has to keep the fucking window open during his vision there. Sarah is the first wife of Abraham. He had a few. In the film, Sarah tries to help him rationalize his negative associations by, of course, leaving that same window open. Jacob needs to dispel his negative association of Jezebel. This doesn't mean to suppress or kill what Jezebel represents, but rather dispel the negative association of what she represents. He needs to harmonize this relationship between both Jezebel and Sarah and what they represent in the film. Even though everything Jezebel does in the film, she does for him, he still labels her a demon or a nightmare in the face of his own piety, which is represented by Sarah. His holy, art, his holy guardian angel, Louis, tells him this in a few ways as well. First, by telling him he should go back to his wife, which means revisit the relationship with his pious love. But especially later on, when Lewis tells him that he will see angels and demons if he hasn't resolved that aspect within himself. The only thing that burns in hell is the part of you that won't let go of your attachments. They burn them all away. Like Jezebel in the photos. They're not punishing you. They're freeing your soul. If you're frightened of dying and you're holding on, You'll see devils tearing your life away. If you've made your peace, then the devils are really angels freeing you from the earth. Actually, something I find funny that he says uh, soon after that, um, Jacob says, you're a lifesaver, Louis. And then he looks up at him and he says, you know, you look like a, from here, you look just like a big oversized cherub. And they both <laughs> laugh. And he says, anybody ever tell you that? And then Louis, um, and a line that I find uh, particularly striking he says, yeah, you every time I see you. It's our first time seeing him in this movie. I think it kind of I think it implies that, you know, he's died a number of times before. And this is the same spirit that he sees every time. Yeah, I think you got a point. So Jezebel or Isabel or Izobaal is cried out in ceremonial ritual worship of Baal during the periods of the year when Baal was considered to be in the underworld. Jezebel represents a whole lot more than a simple nightmare within a psyche. She's a major aspect of divine femininity that needs to become one with. Any association with her as a negative one might stem from a perpetuated monotheistic philosophy of belief. Her true goal in the film is to aid him in the reconciliation of his own disharmonies, to stimulate that within him so he can become one with it. Gnosis knowing to truly know is to become one with complete union of something gnosis is a form of divine union a form of sexual intercourse in the film's party scene the song can somebody say this fucking word Voulez-vous coucher avec moi ce soir? which means that's pretty good do you want to sleep with me tonight this is the same party where he's confronted with the jezebel monster sex scene loses his glasses or clarity of sight and this shows his objection of her role and his inability to see or to quote know her role clearly in this sense the monster's repulsion is really within himself and also that song is a famous broadway song about lady marmalade it's a famous like horror or something it's oh. like a french french horror that's like, a great point like a queen dom or something something like that yeah 
I mean, anybody in the comments or any listeners, if you guys know anything about this, I mean, let us know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that this is a Lady of the Night, like basically pop icon, kind of almost akin to Marilyn Monroe, but more of a streetwalker kind of like burlesque type figure. So Jezebel in the most modern sense. You mean like a stripper, right? Kind of, yeah, but like more like uh, kind of like trying to be classy and stuff. So I feel like it just fits the song itself fits this character perfectly. It does because it's because as soon as she gets mad, like I was saying earlier, how she gets all mad and flippant when she sees him in the hallway with the divination lady and she assumes that he's flirting with her and she just goes off and starts humping this dude on the dance floor. And then, you know, the monster hallucination happens. But that's what I'm saying is she just hops to somebody else. Will you sleep? Will you sleep with me tonight or do you want to sleep with me tonight? I mean, that's the name of the song. She was just dancing. I mean, I know, but that's not what he saw. Exactly. He projects his insecurity and his jealousy onto her. Or vi- but she did it to him too. I mean, you can't argue either way. Well, New Eats well, pretty hard to compete with. Did it to him because that's who he is. The appropriate cultivation of sexual energy assists the rising of Kundalini along the energetic channels of the spinal column. Jacob's ladder. The addiction to the eye self and all addictions and attachments to the eye self are dissolved in the cultivation and the rising of this energy. Remember when oh, he yeah. said that she had great thighs? Oh no. Remember when he said that yeah. too? That's like like uh, he, that was the one thing where he was like, "Well, she had great thighs." And then mm-hmm. you know, his pious love is like, "I thought it was a nightmare." And then they start like touching before Macaulay Culkin comes in. I think oh, yeah. that's really what fucked Macaulay Culkin up. He saw these two actors in a bed once, and then his life was all downhill from there. That's what happened. I mean, I, I think there's like some greater conspiracy with Macaulay Culkin, but I don't even know where to start with that. Meth? Well, now you don't, yeah. I don't think we're giving him meth when he was a child. Don't forget about the pizza. Mm. <laughs> Chicken pizza. In reference to the thigh bone, because I believe there's some importance to it. When they show her full naked body, they take a pretty long gander at her thigh. Well, Jacob gets thrown out when he wrestles the angel in the Bible. Yeah, and then the thigh thing. So it's a returning motif in the film. But let's talk a little bit about necromancy magic for a minute and the Kong Ling. A Kong Ling is a trumpet made from a human thigh bone. You may play a Kongling in tantric Buddhist rituals, particularly chod. The function of chod is to cut your emotional attachments to your body. Putting a dead person's leg bone into your mouth below the Kanglang is basically the practice and an intimate reminder of your own mortality. Mm. Nice. Hardcore. So... The symbol of the thigh, which is what he loves about her so much, is actually a symbol of cutting away the ego. There's actually a little bit more about the Kang Lang and how you get one. Dingus, would you like to read? No, I will anyway. I will. Various texts and oral traditions describe the best source of the chode. Sure. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Various texts and oral traditions describe the best source of the Chode Kang Lang, which is the vehicle of our offerings. Accordingly, (laughs) the most perfect specimen would be from a Brahmin child, male or female, free from worldly stains or faults. Mm -hmm. (laughs) At the other end of the spectrum, it should not be from someone who died of tuberculosis, plague, or other contagion, 
or some accident or misfortune. The right leg of someone who died in their youth with clear mind is considered a Daka Kanglang. Possessing enlightened male energy, the left leg from a similar individual, male or female, is a Dakini Kanglang. Possessing enlightened feminine energy. From other traditions, other traditions say that a female bone should be from the left side and a male bone from the right leg. Further, a Daka Kanglang can be defined as coming from someone killed by a knife or other weapon, while a Dakini Kanglang is from a woman who is a tantric consort. Ding, ding, According ding. to the oh, fuck you too, asshole. According to whore. the Mindrilling Manual of Sacred Instruments, the left leg of a young male who died by a knife has subtle qualities, while the right femur of a woman in her prime who died similarly is also of fine quality. Why, yes, my good man, I'll have one of each. Thank Murdered you very by much. a knife five years ago in a dark alley. <laughs> this one was sealed behind bricks in a monastery after he farted in an enclosed space. I'll sell this at a discount. That's basically the Kanlang market on the internet right there. Chode literally means a cock that is shorter than it is no. wide. Mari, <laughs> no. your turn. Mari, your turn. <laughs> Put so, it in anyway. No, no. Like a tuna can. It's not a chode. It's what? Chode. Chod, no. Chod. Like, it's very short. There's no E on the end. Literally means cutting through. It cuts through hindrances and obscurations, sometimes called demons or gods. Example of demons are ignorance, anger, and in particular, the dualism of perceiving the self as inherently meaningful, contrary to the Buddhist doctrine of anatta, non-self. So basically, that means cutting through the ego, and that would be indicative of ego death. Jezebel is Vajrayogini. That's what I think. I think yeah. that's who she is. I think that's what she's meant to. Well, like, besides Babylon, tantric, you know, the tantrist female Buddha. Yeah. Do you say it right in your head when you think it, or did you wait for me to say it right first and now you do? I can say Vajrayogini. I got that one. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I. <laughs> Vajra Yogini's essence is great passion, Maharaga, a transcendent passion that is free of selfishness and illusion. She intensely works for the well-being of others and for the destruction of ego clinging. She is seen as being ideally suited for people with strong passions, providing the way to transform those passions into enlightened virtues. Literally, this afterlife psychopomp comes to those whose dick still is hard like that and then That's she helps them when they die is it yeah yeah when you lose blood pressure and if you die like sitting up or standing up or lying down it's all going to your dick it's called nice. angel lust wait so uh, is that why Kali is like crouched over like a hard corpse i don't know I never thought of it that way i'm not sure of the imagery when you mentioned when you put it that way either yeah Kali is like dancing over like Shiva, who's prostrate, oh, yeah, has his dick all hard. Of, yeah. Whoa. He could just be a submissive. I didn't know that, Dingus. That's fucking deep, dude. Fuck. I, mean, yeah. I didn't know you uh, get yeah. hard when you died. I feel better about death now. Yeah. She is known as a meditation deity. Her practice includes methods for preventing ordinary death, intermediate state, bardo, and rebirth by transforming them into paths to enlightenment, and for transforming all mundane daily experiences 
into higher spiritual paths. So this lady literally shows up to help you get through intermediate stages, life itself, and the afterlife, and the rebirth process. Kind of all really relevant stuff to the movie. I would also argue that he's in a type of purgatory for half of the movie. Yeah, you could you could call the Bardo's purgatory, absolutely. Uh, yeah, definitely. Vajra yeah. Yogini is visualized as a translucent, deep red form of a 16-year-old female with a third eye of wisdom set vertically on her forehead and unbound flowing hair. Vajra Yogini is generally depicted with the traditional accoutrements, accoutrements. accoutrements of a Dakini, including a Katrika, which a, is a, a, a Katrika. It's a Vajra handled flaying knife. Vajra referring to the energy of a lightning bolt or a hard cock. Mm. In her right hand and a Kapala filled with blood in her left hand that she drinks from with upturned mouth. A shit eating grin. So, so she's like chugging it like she's like, you know, like a sports guy who just won the Super Bowl fucking down in a I don't know beer drinking hat full of blood and she's waving yeah. a dick like a dick stick around yeah it's fucking great drinking a cup I bet of if you blood mix... with a dagger what is this Thelema what the fuck I bet if you had a beer drinking hat full of uh full of blood you could only get like one type in there it would start to curdle and it would block your blood drinking tubes just thought I don't know so each aspect of Vajra Yogini's form and mandala is designed to convey spiritual meaning example her brilliant red colored body symbolizes the blazing of her tumo or her inner fire, which is related to spiritual transformation, as well as the life force, shakti, blood of birth, menstrual blood. Her single face symbolizes that she has realized all phenomena are of one nature in emptiness. Her two arms symbolize her realization of the two truths. Her three eyes symbolize her ability to see everything in the past, present, and future. She looks upwards towards pure Dakini land, demonstrating her attainment of outer and inner pure Dakini, and indicating that she leads her followers to these attainments. The curved Driguk knife in her right hand shows her power to cut the continuum of the delusions and obstacles of her followers and of all living beings. Drinking the blood of the Kapala in her left hand symbolizes the experience of clear light of bliss. According to scholar Miranda Shaw, Vajra Yogini is inarguably the supreme deity of the Tantric Pantheon. No male Buddha, including her divine consort Haruka, approaches her in metaphysical practice or import. So this is like the, the top sex god in the Buddhist pantheon? Yes, or Hindu even. Okay, yeah, this is like Hindu and Buddhism. And it's interesting that she has a knife and a chalice, which is Western. Like, that's interesting because it relates to Western magic. But it's also the words are the same thing for it's a chalice full of blood, which would be a womb. And then yep. the the dagger, it's described as looking like a, an erect penis, which would be obviously your dick. So it's like, it's like, hey, we have a dagger and a chalice, but, you know, it's like going to be like a dick and a vagina. We're, we're just going to show it to you. We're not going to lie about it. So when this dude died, this warrior, this war veteran, he got sent directly to Vajra Yogini right to her apartment. He walks in. He sees the dog and she says to him, what do you think? He's like, what do you mean? What do I think? Like, it's this is a world her. like this world, this room she has created for him in order to go through his post death experience. This is a beautiful like experience they're going to go through together and they get in the shower. They get flirty for a minute. They close the shower door and he has a flash of back to Vietnam where he's dying and it shows the spider web. There's a spider directly in the center of it. In the Bardot Thodol, you are first given one glimpse of the clear white light and if you take the jump at that moment and realize what's going on, you essentially escape the wheel 
or as it's represented here, a web. And he has the opportunity to be consumed in this bliss or this ecstasy with Vajra Yogini, which might be symbolized by the spider or the black widow consuming its its male after the act. But that's that just like my theory. Interesting. That is cool. But he doesn't identify with the clear white light and he goes on to go into the second and the third Bardo's following death. But if you'd like to hear more about that and uh the dog-headed Saint Christopher and the formula of the headless one that relates to Saint Christopher and how it links together all of Western esotericism, please w- visit www.patreon.com slash the whole rabbit, where your five bucks gets you not just this extended episode, but all of them and a vinyl sticker that is five inches in length and width and access to our Discord server, which is of indeterminate length and width because it's digital. By now, your eternal soul may depend on the information in this next half. Thank God you, everybody. Damn. Eat carrots. Don't lie yet. Eat carrots and shoot lasers.